The city to surf is a running race with 50,000 runners who start in the city and then head up Oxford Street towards Bondi Beach. And there are two sorts of runners. There are the serious runners. They're not all trying to win, but they all have their own sorts of victory, maybe to run a personal best time or to beat their brother or friend or to come first in their division or even just to run the whole way without stopping. And for them, their focus is the finishing line at Bondi with a big clock over the line. And for the whole race, they imagine crossing the line, raising their arms in victory. It's about the finishing line. They're not distracted by things along the way. Then there's the back of the pack crowd. They're called that because they have a different starting line behind the the serious runners uh, so they don't get in the way. And that's where you'll find the fancy dress, the party goers, those who are there for a good time or just a pleasant Sunday morning walk. And for those competitors, it's all about the journey. The finishing line and what time they run, it doesn't really matter. It means nothing to them if they stop for a coffee on the way or do a spot of window shopping as they pass Double Bay or wave to everyone who's beside the road. And according to Paul, the Christian life is like a race. It starts when you become a Christian, it finishes when we die and meet Jesus. And just like a race, you can run it in one of two ways. You can be a serious runner, like Paul. His eyes were on the goal. He's straining toward the line to win the prize. King Jesus loved him. King Jesus had saved him, even when Paul was persecuting him. King Jesus will resurrect him and bring him to glory. And so Paul will give everything as he runs for that goal. His mind is on heavenly things and he's not distracted along the way. And although the race is tough, Paul couldn't imagine anything else. The race of the serious runner is one of joy and purpose and progress and power. Your feet might be throbbing, your lungs aching, your muscles burning but your focus is on the finish line, on the prize. That's the race of the serious runner in the Christian life. But then there's another type of runner, the back of the pack slacker. They'll say they're in the Christian race, but their mind is on everything except the finishing line. Paul says their mind is on earthly things. The pretty things along the way grab their attention, the bright lights of King's Cross the expensive shop fronts of Elizabeth Bay, the fun and the parties and the cheering, or the opinion of the spectators. They can't think about glory and resurrection bodies and Jesus. They don't think about, uh, all they think about now are pleasure and promotions and profit, rewards that rust and break and disappoint. And they forget why they began the race in the first place. They forget that it's about knowing Jesus and becoming like him, to be raised with him. They lose sight of the finish line. When it comes to the Christian race, to your Christian race, which are you? A serious runner or a back-of-the-pack slacker? How hard are you running? Well, whichever you are, take the advice of Paul and follow his example. Run with determination. Keep your eyes on the prize. There's nothing harder, but there's nothing better or more satisfying. 
And the key to the whole thing for Paul is back up there in verse 10. We looked at it last week. I want to know Christ. That's what drives him. There's nothing more valuable than knowing Jesus, his Lord. Everything else is rubbish. Now, he's not saying he doesn't know Jesus already, but just he wants to know him better. And that's Christianity. It's not about knowing a book or knowing a set of rules or knowing words to songs. It's about knowing a person, a living, active, powerful person. That's quite different, I think, from other religions which are about a dead person and knowing his words. Specifically, verse 10, Paul says he wants to know the power of Jesus' resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Uh, the two defining events in Jesus' earthly life. He is both the resurrected Saviour and the suffering servant, both victorious God and a frail, weak human being. And so for Paul to know Jesus, it's to experience both of those qualities in his own life. We thought last week about how it's unbalanced to focus on one in your Christian life, but not the other. All victory and power without suffering, well, that's not true Christianity. And all suffering without power and any victory, well, that's not Christianity either. The Christian life is both. In fact, it seems to me that one is the key to the other. Let me explain. On the one hand, it's only as we experience the power that raised Jesus in our own life that we are actually able to share in his sufferings. It's the power of Jesus that enables us to suffer. Gordon Fee, in his commentary, puts it like this, Paul was so certain of Christ's resurrection and thus of his own that he could throw himself into the present suffering with joyful and thankful abandon. Not because he enjoyed suffering, but because Christ's resurrection had given him a unique perspective on his own suffering as well as an empowering presence whereby the suffering was transformed into intimate fellowship with Christ himself. Christ's resurrection gives us a unique perspective on suffering, he says. Uh, Christ's resurrection is the, the sure and certain hope of the finish line. And that means you will run hard because you know the finishing line is certain. Christ's resurrection also means we have an empowering presence. Uh, When we became Christians, God made us new people and he gave us his spirit, the spirit of Jesus. His spirit gives us resurrection strength to run a cross-shaped race. It's the strength of the resurrection that enables us to put other people first and ourselves last. That's cross-shaped power. So we've said knowing the resurrection helps us to suffer, but I think the other is true as well. We can only experience the power of the resurrected Jesus in our lives when we share in his sufferings. Well, how does that work? because God uses suffering to teach us and to make us like Jesus. He uses suffering to humble us, to break our pride, to drive us to our knees in dependent prayer. And it's only when we're humble and dependent on God 
that he can show his power in us. When we're trying to power along ourselves, we don't need or use God's power. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul describes a thorn in his flesh. He says that God brought it to him to keep Paul from becoming conceited. We don't know what it was, but it wasn't pleasant. Paul asked God to take away this thorn. Maybe it was a physical illness or a person or some form of suffering. But God said, no. He said, my power is perfected in your weakness. My power is perfected in your weakness. You see, Paul only got to experience God's power as he recognised his own weakness, as he walked through the sufferings God had brought. And here's the lesson Paul learnt from that situation. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Strong with Christ's resurrection power. So knowing the sufferings of Jesus helps us experience the power and it's actually the power that helps us to endure the sufferings. They both work together. And as the Christian experienced both of those things, God's plan makes him more like Jesus. We saw this last week too, verse 10. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Becoming like Jesus. As we take on the lifestyle of Jesus, the suffering and the power, we take on his character. The fruit of our obedience is Christ-likeness. So what does all of that mean? Well, if you're going through a difficulty at the moment, maybe it's personal or relational or physical, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and I know many of you are going through things, then trust God. Trust his plans. He's bringing these things so that you'll fix your eyes on him to strengthen you and to make you like Jesus. But it's not just this life. God's goal is resurrection, just like it was for Jesus. Verse 11 we read, And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. The Christian race may be about suffering and following Jesus, but the the finish is resurrection. Uh, Paul is certain of it. He doesn't know which way the road will go. He doesn't know how many hills or difficulties there are ahead. That's what he means by somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. It doesn't mean he's not sure about it. He's just not sure uh, how or what it will look like before he gets there. Uh, But he does know one thing for certain, his own resurrection, when his aching, beaten, weary body will be transformed into something glorious. And from verse 12 we see what that means for his attitude in the present as he runs the race. So verse 12 he says, Not that I've already obtained all of this or already been made perfect, but I press on. He's not there yet. He doesn't give up. He doesn't take it easy. And that's a mistake lots of runners make in long distance races. They sprint for the first corner 
They're first there, but then they run out of puff. They make the mistake of focusing on the short term rather than the long term. The race, the city to surf, is a marathon. It's a long run, not a sprint. And it's the same with the Christian race. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's immature to pretend that you've made it, that you're already mature uh, when you still have a long way to go. Because if you think you've made it, then you slacken off and you cruise, you get complacent. Sin that used to bother you doesn't matter so much anymore. Encouraging others to run with you doesn't matter so much. You stop reading your Bible because you know it better than most people. You stop praying because, well, you're coping pretty well with life. You stop going to church because you're not getting very much out of it. And before you know it, you've stopped running. Maybe you know people like that. But Paul's not like that. He knows he still has a long way to go. And that's maturity, knowing that you're not yet where you need to be. And so he keeps training and keeps striving and he doesn't slacken off. But what's he talking about? What is the all this he hasn't yet obtained? I think uh, it's the complete knowledge of Jesus. It's being completely Christ-like he hasn't achieved, becoming like Christ from verse 10. He's not complete or perfect or mature or maybe fully equipped. That word for perfect means all of those things. He's not there yet. You can see Christ-likeness is what he's talking about when you get to the second half of the verse. Verse 12, Not that I've already obtained all this or already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's a bit tricky. In other words, I'm working toward the goal which is the very reason Christ chose me to begin with. My job description, my target, my finish line is being like Jesus and being with Jesus. That's why Jesus chose me, he said, and took hold of me. That's what I'm working towards, following him, becoming like him, living for him. Paul does it as he lives a cross-shaped life of suffering and service empowered by God's spirit the spirit who raised Jesus. And so Paul would say, press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Now you may think you have certain plans for your life or that you became a Christian because you wanted this or wanted to do that. But you know, Jesus has even bigger plans. He took hold of you for a reason. Jesus wants you to be Christ-like. That's his plan, that's the prize. So take hold of that sort of life that glorifies Jesus. Aim to be like him more and more every day. That's what Jesus himself wants for you. He wants it more than you do. And so that's the goal Paul is single-minded about. See how he presses on, verse 13? But one thing I do... Forgetting what's behind, straining towards what's ahead, I press on to win the prize. One thing, he presses on. And notice that he does it by forgetting what's behind him. 
I think that's about forgetting failures and forgetting victories. It's a good thing to forget past hurts and disappointments and failures and discouragements because those things can take the life out of you. They can discourage you and make you stop. They can make you bitter. People who laughed at you or rejected you and you wonder why you'd ever uh, do that again. It's a good thing to forget past sins. God has forgiven them. He doesn't dwell on them, so why do you keep dwelling on them? Forget the failures, says Paul. But I think also we need to forget the victories sometimes too. The times when we were successful or when we did better than somebody else, especially if they make you proud or complacent or make you trust in your own abilities and make you think you're more mature than you really are. Don't look back, says Paul. Press towards the goal, keep your eyes on that prize. So what's the prize? Well, we've talked a bit about it. From the context, I think it's probably Jesus himself. We now know Jesus a little. The down payment of his spirit lives in us. But complete and intimate knowledge of Jesus is what waits us at the finish line. That's the prize. Eternal fellowship with Jesus. Resurrection, coming before his throne of judgement and Jesus is there and Jesus says, good friend, I've been waiting for you. I ran the race and even though it was tough, you followed after me. Well done, good and faithful servant. I can't wait to spend eternity with you, with me living in you and you living in me. Enter your rest. You should see the party I've got prepared for you. That's the prize. Some people imagine that paradise or eternity will be a party or a feast or being reunited with loved ones or sometimes their pets uh, or doing their favourite thing like surfing or fishing. Now, eternity might be some of those things but if Jesus is not right at the centre of what you're looking forward to then you've lost sight of the true finish line. You've lost sight of the true prize. Jesus is the prize. And yet there are plenty of people who don't strive, who don't strive for Jesus, who don't press on, who are too interested in the scenery or the distractions. They're the back of the pack, slackers. And as Paul writes, he's heartbroken for them. They're probably people the Philippians know. Maybe they've even called themselves Christians. Verse 18 says Paul has shed many tears for these people and warned them many times before. They think they're running but Paul sees their Christian race differently. Uh, They think they're in the race, they're just not too serious. They're not a, you know, one of those sorts of Christians. They're not too radical, you know, they, they keep perspective about life. Paul says, you know, maybe they take time to stop and smell the roses. They don't want to be too committed. But Paul says they're not just slow coaches in the race. He says they're not even in the race at all. Verse 18, he says, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. That's not running towards Jesus. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction. 
Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Compare that to Paul. His destiny is heaven. His God is his Saviour. His glory is the resurrection. His mind is on heavenly things. Paul wants to know Christ. But anything except Christ occupies their minds. Their minds are on earthly things. They're headed for destruction. Self-satisfaction is their ultimate goal. And the things they should be ashamed of, they glory in, rejoice in, are proud of. I'm sure you've experienced that with people you know. As you listen to workmates telling you how much, back, how much they got back on their tax refund and how they managed to cheat the tax department or what they did on the weekend, how drunk they got or who they slept with. And as they tell you, they're proud. They rejoice. Things they glory in that they should be ashamed of. But there are even more subtle things. There are things that we Christians can glory in as well. Things that should be secondary but are really primary or in first place in our lives. How much money your house is worth. How much you spent on that new dress how good you look in it, how you can't wait for that partnership or that promotion and how you love to brag about it to others and how studying for that new qualification has become the most important thing or how proud you are of your son's new job or sporting achievement and yet when someone asks how your son's Christian walk is going, well, you're strangely quiet. Glory has become shame. Are you a serious runner like Paul or a back of the pack slacker? What are the things that you glory in, rejoice, are proud of? Press on, take hold of the the very thing, the very reason Jesus took hold of you. Being like him, knowing him. Forget the past, strain towards the prize. And if your glory, if the glory of earthly things is distracting you, then shut your eyes and focus on this final image. It's how Paul finishes. Forget the glory of earthly things. Imagine the glory of Jesus. New bodies, a new Jerusalem, with Jesus on the throne, with no more sickness or crying or death or pain. Hope for that finishing line. Verse 20 describes a citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. That's the prize to run for. Pursue that goal and live for that vision. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we repent of Uh, being easily distracted by the things of this earth, by riches, by approval from people, by power, by comfort or pleasure, uh, laziness, 
Forgive us, we pray, through Jesus, and help us to fix our eyes on him, on eternity, on knowing and being known by Jesus. We pray that we might live this race for your honour and for the glory of Jesus. Amen.